Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. Hi, and welcome to January's book club, The Body Keeps a Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Dr. Kolk is the preeminent neuroscientist who is most influencing our understanding of trauma and the impact that trauma has as the cause of so many mental health issues. Join us as we explore this profound book. So Kelly, first, I am incredibly curious. We talk about this a lot. I'm a mental health therapist for over 20 years in the social work mental health space, reading a ton of case studies, working with abused and neglected children. This book has a ton of case studies that really yes. gets into the nitty gritty. How did that impact you? I think this book, I'm surprised it's a New York Times bestseller because it's it would be, technical. I think, very triggering, but very triggering with the case studies. Yeah. So it's funny that you start off that way because as we get into it, it just so happens, my dear sister, that I have a list of bullet points about you and your career choice. Oh, really? We both come from extremely different perspectives, you being a mental health professional. We are both coming at having read this book from two different perspectives, meaning you're a mental health professional. You are familiar with the different methods, techniques, practices of treating mental health. I only can come from my own experience in dealing with my own mental health challenges or like learning and discovery, part of my own self-discovery. But you know what? The reason why this is a bestseller, I finished the book yesterday and I was laying last night, laying awake at night thinking about our conversation. If everyone read this would change the world. And I think about it at every aspect of things. We can go high. We can talk about uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, evil world leaders who clearly have trauma. And if they could deal with that trauma, maybe they would be a little bit nicer in the world. We can also go granular into the criminals who might be mugging people on the streets in Chicago who clearly have trauma. I think at the end of the day, everyone means to be well, good human beings. But because of some deficiency, my read, some trauma, trauma can be defined in many different ways that perhaps some of the ailments of our world are because of the fact that there's there's trauma stuff. impacts our brain, right? Yes. Which then impacts our behavior. I would say, I think that this couples so nicely with Oprah and Dr. Per Perry's book, What Happened to You? Because I feel like this gets into the nitty gritty. This yes. is nitty gritty and very yes. clinical. And then yes, they follow clinical. up because he, uh, one of the things that I noted on here was like, he 
is so pissed off that in his whole career, he's in his 80s now, okay? He has been working in the psychiatric field before the DSM was created, and we're on the DSM-5 at this point, okay? DSM is Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that you have to use if you are a mental health person diagnosing someone. You have to look at the diagnose, get the code, bill the insurance, the end, if you take insurance, which if you ever wonder why, Jessica, why don't you take insurance, read this book, and you'll be like, that's why she doesn't, because diagnostics can be BS. But he has been participating in studies and working with people with overwhelming research showing that child mental illness, right, has a strong cause of child developmental trauma. But because the mental health industry is for profit rather than research driven, he cannot get people to understand. Like he was saying, if we could address child abuse, we would cut depression by half. If we could address right? that, we could cut crime. Yeah. But so we this is, and learning, that's where I follow up with the learning. Oprah Winfrey book, because she said, instead of looking at these juvenile delinquents that we're calling delinquents and saying, hey, what's wrong with you? You would say, what happened to you? These adolescents that are committing these yes. crimes and who are yes. violent and aggressive, it's because they are caught in a trauma response loop that they're not even aware of. Correct. And- so she follows up with that because I didn't realize how deeply Oprah was involved in the politics of child welfare and and all of that stuff. So I felt like that's what he's really kind of talking about. And I think they take it that next step on like they because their book, I think, is on how trauma impacts our brain and body. But also the point of their book is kind of like all of these kids are being pumped out. So when I worked in child welfare, when I worked in a group home for abuse and neglected children, mm-hmm. You would see they turn 18. You could see the foster care to prison pipeline. You could see the kids who turn 18 and there's it's like peace out in California. It's, it's only out. like 6% in that actually go out and thrive in the world. In, in Pennsylvania, it's till 21. And I believe New York as well. But in, in the state of Pennsylvania, I believe that you could be in the child welfare system until 21 with support. But in California, we literally I could just see them going homeless. Right. How are they? He is linking in this book ADHD, all these other things. Like I had client who was barely reading because you're going to foster home, foster home, foster home. Um, hello, where's your education? Different school, different school, different school, different school. He could barely read and write and he was turning 18. Yeah. Where that was. And yeah. is it because he's stupid? No. no, it's because he's been abused and neglected for, yes. you know, 18 years. And so anyway, like you were saying, it, it would if if we could address the ACE, which is adverse childhood experiences, the higher the ACE score, the higher it is. So I use the ACE with my clients. The higher the ACE score, the higher the chance of you having physical issues, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, just all kinds of physical ailments. And that's how, because money drives everything, that's how in the state of California, they're using ACE scores because they can fund things saying, hey, if we address children with high A scores now, they're not going to cost the healthcare system money later. And so that's how they're linking it just to get funding for supports well, for high I A mean, scores. if you were able to make the case, somebody who's listening, please do this and help us change the world. If you were to make the case that if you could improve the outcomes through mental health practices to decrease crime, right? I mean, and the book does talk about the case studies, right, of kids. It's you know, it's he's out of Massachusetts in Boston. So it is a lot of the case studies are heavy with his experience on the East Coast. 
I'm curious where that falls here. The other big picture as we get into the details here, what I am just blown away at is the cutting edge. I'm going to say cutting edge because it's not, but it is different treatment modalities. But how he really, to me, this is the Bible, Jess. This is what I'm curious what you thought. Sometimes I do that. I'm sorry, where I always assert my opinion first and then let somebody else talk. But to me, this is like the Bible on mental health. So what did you, how do you feel about this based on everything you know? I, I think that's a stretch for me. I okay. think maybe the Bible on trauma and its impact, mm. but yeah. he has a lot of opinions. So I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist and the way that he explained cognitive behavioral therapy in like one paragraph, off. because he talked about exposure, exposure therapy is like 0.01% of what I do. So he was like, cognitive therapy is about exposing people over and over. That's not at all my training in cognitive behavioral therapy. And when he talks about his own experiences and putting into words, that's like exactly what cognitive behavioral therapy is to me. It's understanding that our thoughts impact our feelings and our feelings then impact our behaviors. So we have to learn what are my feelings and what are my thoughts? And he was saying he struggled with that. So what I'm doing with clients is like, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? We have some distortions there. Are there any thoughts, memories, images? You know, and I like how he says, you know, really being trauma informed isn't that someone comes in and you're like, so you were raped. Tell me about your rape. Like, that is not trauma informed. And so it's not just like someone telling their story and putting it into words, right? It's just this whole wrap around um, thing. So I just felt like he dismissed. The other thing is, is MDMA ketamine rooms right he did he well he about. he, oh, he was did. just like they don't work the end goodbye another paragraph cbd doesn't work this doesn't work I think this doesn't that work and i got this sense the chick at the end i can't remember her name in the case study but she was really really in a bad place to treat for her severity of trauma that she had she had to be the trauma had to be treated in a couple different ways before she could even begin to use like a use therapy as treatment so it was like yes there's different kind of like protocols depending right so if we go into the brain yeah we should talk about okay a little bit yeah okay our brain has an adaptive response to stress okay and traumatized people can get stuck in powerlessness right when they are prevented or unable to take action so like when you think of an animal a tiger senses danger, runs away, fight, flight, or freeze, comes out, and then it's over the end, right? But because we're humans, the dynamics play out very differently. And so our primitive brain, sometimes they call it the lizard brain, the reptilian brain. That's not the talking, thinking, feeling, rational part of our brain. That is the part of our brain that just survives. Eat, drink, survive. Eat, drink, survive, right? And that is where the amygdala is. When we start pumping out adrenaline, that's the fight, flight, or freeze. That's stored in that area. So that's not stored in the rational thinking part of our brain. So our primitive brain, right, has a normal response. But if it's blocked, we're trapped, held down, prevented, frozen from our action, then our brain keeps secreting stress hormones, right? So our thinking brain is offline, right? So our amygdala and limbic system the survival part of our brain remains in charge. So then you're going off and your body is continuing to defend itself against threats. And so when he's saying you need to address it in multiple ways, 
There's the top down. So you address the top thinking part of brain. That's traditional therapy, like we're thinking of, right? And then, and then there's an, a bottom up approach where we use, like we're talk, we've talked about in mom talks on regulation, nervous system regulation, right? Learning deep breathing, addressing your body. Yes. Like you're saying, you have to learn how to manage your responses before we can get to the talking thinking part it's of like our brain. It's like a menu of healing. Right. Okay. And so he is just saying a key to trauma treatment is helping people to reactivate a sense of self, which includes our body. So recovering, and he's really big on mindfulness. So here's what I think. It's like what you're saying. That's why I think yeah. this book is just another lens. It's a way to explain. I loved because it's um, it's gives me more words to explain to my clients what's happening. Sure. What happens for me is very rarely do I have people come to my office and say, this trauma happened to me right here, this one trauma, right? And this is what he talks about is complex trauma, that childhood trauma. So I'll have people that will come to me and they're like, I'm feeling very dysfunctional right now. And then we'll get in it and they're like, they have an ACE score of six, right? Six out of 10, that's a very high ACE score. And you're like, already, okay, we're dealing with What's complex ACE trauma. Score? We don't know what that adverse, is. Yeah, we said, I said adverse childhood oh. experiences. And he okay. talks about that in the book. Remember how they decided about childhood trauma? If you come in and tell people, how was your childhood? They'll say, great. Do you have any trauma? Nope. But if you ask them the 10 questions on the ACE, then you will be able to get a really, so they did all Can this we do research. that sometime? I could get my ACE score. And yes. And he gives it in the book, but we'll pull it up real quick. I didn't see. I was like, okay. Did you feel that you didn't, so number one, did you feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect or take care of you? Okay. No. So that gives an example of what some of the questions right. would be. One of the things I just wanted to talk through is the book has five sections five parts to it. And so you mentioned that it's very case study heavy. The first parts, the rediscovery of trauma really talks about how trauma is defined, kind of the understanding. What's amazing about this book is I, tremendously researched historical practices up to the latest and greatest. The network of people that he's reached out to a reference is amazing. Um, so it's about what is trauma, trauma on the brain, which is this is your brain on trauma part two. And then it talks about the minds of the child, which is what you talked about. Part four is the imprint of trauma. And then part five was the paths to recovery. Each of these sections is pretty deep. And I would say as a mental health professional, what I geeked out on was this book is also a history of the mental health field over the last 40 years. Yeah, it was fascinating. And so really it's like we didn't even, he was like, this is the treatment. For the like bloodletting shell the, shocker. Like, this was the treatment for uh, people coming back from war and, and PTSD wasn't even a thing, right? And then he was there when Prozac came out and he was super excited. And very early, he realized, oh, shit, meds doesn't do anything. We have more medication yeah. than ever and more depression than ever. I think that that's the, and, yeah. But I think like, I don't want to discount anybody. I think everyone is a unicorn. And so- what works for some may not work for others. And so I think what we have to recognize what we can take from this book is we have the capacity to heal. We need to verbalize and process the trauma. We have to learn how to regulate our own body and we need to increase social connection. And so that's going to play out different for everybody. But one of the things I wanted to highlight, which we talk about all the time here at Chasing Brighter is what's one of the number one things you can do to help with someone who 
has had trauma or complex trauma relationships through good support networks. And a quote that they had in the book, having a good support network constitutes the single most powerful protection against becoming traumatized because you will have your tribe surround you. I love that. Amen, sister. When he had the case study about the students, they were student health center participants, and there's a group of them that they had to write down. Part of the study was using writing. The, the importance of journaling, which I don't do nearly as much as I should. Like I don't journal daily, but I've really been trying to, especially in 2024, doing that. But the benefits of journaling to me was what he, what the participant said, which was they help you think about what you feel during times. And they really have the idea of writing in this study really helped people kind of define their emotions and define their experiences. And so it just talked about helping them understand how they felt and why. And in some ways, I think that that's the benefit of therapy. There's so many different ways you can get through. I'm just going to say trauma, but some challenging times or whatever, because I think trauma, everybody has different degrees of trauma and also everybody interprets it differently. Well, too. And, and I, you're the so, expert on that part. Well, here's a couple of things I want to say. Number one, really, really quick. That study of children who were victims of incest, the rate that they had autoimmune disorders. And one of my best friends who is sexual abused as a child who has an autoimmune disorder. This is fascinating to me. I'm seeing it more and more and more in my practice because we are diagnosing autoimmune disorders more often and that link to childhood trauma, particularly sexual abuse. The second thing I want to say, I find it fascinating when people don't understand cutting because when he saw cutting, right, people were trying to make it suicidal yes. very early on in his career yes. and how cutting is a way to, it, it's like when you are heightened all the time, you don't feel and you're numb and it's a way to feel now. And what I thought, and he talked about bulimia. So this past couple of weeks, I read The Moonshiner's Daughter, which really you could look at it through the lens of someone who was traumatized and she is bulimic. And I read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And oh, she struggles with an eating disorder. Okay. Kelly, I read it in like two days. I loved okay. it. I loved I did the audio um, audible book. I loved her narrating it. I loved it. It was so good. And you talk about childhood trauma, enmeshment, codependency, but she had bulimia. And I thought that was so crazy. I was reading those books alongside reading The Body Keeps a Score. And here are these two people, one fictionalized, who have all of this childhood trauma and who have developed an eating disorder, developed bulimia to, to help them because they have not been able to develop skills to regulate their body and regulate things. And that is what they began engaging in. And so he explains that more. So that was just fascinating because it's like, you know, you could just read so many books and, and look through the lens again of how childhood trauma impacts us. I agree. I don't think he goes into that in great detail. There is a big chunk about I think, dissociation. I think that is the next, to me, evolution of this. If you look at this as like, I see this, again, Kelly's view in her small little pea brain is I think everyone has trauma. It's not like everything bad happened to everybody, but there's all these degrees of mm -hmm. things that happened to you as a child that stick with you and made you who you are. And um, so I think this book is amazing at basically being like, we are who we are. Don't be afraid. And guess what? Everybody can heal. 
And that's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's different ways to heal. You don't have to go to a therapist. Yeah. You can do all these other things. Right. If something isn't working, try something else. Amazing. Yeah. Breathing, so then, mindfulness, all can help us heal. One of the things he talks about was learning how we get along with ourselves is largely part of internal leadership skills. He talked about internal leadership skills and learning to l- listen to different parts of your mind, um, talking about thoughts, emotions, sensations about how sometimes you might feel like you're all, all over the place, that it's really these other, all these different parts of your mind and how recognizing them and having them work in harmony so that when one dominates, like anger, for example, there's these other parts that are there too. And yeah. learning how to like kind of function and manage those. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting part. Like your brain is, I talked about your brain is a mini society. So yeah. it's kind of like keeping everything peaceful and learning how to yeah. do Yeah. He talks a lot about ways to heal and calm, like yoga, EMDR, which we've talked about before, internal family systems we've talked about before here, neurofeedback, yeah. movement, yeah. exercise. One of the yes. things I've talked about before too, is our brain-based therapies, right? And so we've talked again, I'm a brain spotting clinician, which is a spinoff of EMDR. And so, and also, you know, there's hypnotherapy, which he talked about in there. There's so many different ways to heal. Absolutely. Um, but, but I do think if you broke it down, it would be like you need to be guided, right, by a trauma expert. You need to be connected in a tribe of your own, and you need to be addressing your nervous system and your body. I think those are the three-prong approach that he talks about. I also found it interesting, like you said, I'm going to keep reiterating, which is that there's a lot of methods of treatment that are not common practices because of insurance. Yes. Because of just the way that the resources are. Mm -hmm. And those, some of those can be just as effective, if not more effective. So I think it's important to your point about trying to working with a trauma expert and doing your own research too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of free resources out there and and it's like, any of those is a doorway for you to enter the the healing space. But but I think it's important to notice your triggers. And again, I think a great follow-up book is What Happened to You, because I think they talk more specifically about us having triggers, us feeling flooded. But anyway, I think this is a great book, huge chunk of it, history of mental health, history of how we treat it, then trauma, childhood trauma, and then how to heal. So I love that he offers how to heal. And I think it's really important that we recognize that our life experiences impact our brain, which means we can't control if we're being triggered. So it's powerful to know our triggers. So anyways, this was an excellent book, but major, major trigger warning because of all the case studies, because it's graphic. I was listening to it and Justin was like really upset because they were talking about like raping children. He was just like, how can people do that to children? It can be very upsetting if you're not used to that or been exposed to that. I, I'm an emotionally neglectful person anyway, and so I don't like to think about those things. So I was like, well, mm, definitely ruling out therapy as a job choice for me <laughs> anytime soon. In the end, but I, I really respect the field. I think it's absolutely amazing. And so kudos to you, Jess, especially being focused on trauma. I mean, unbelievable, probably. I know you told me here and there, but like what you're hearing on a daily basis. The other thing is there's a small section that I kind of had a little chuckle about, which is this paragraph I'm going to read. 
So I'm going to read this and think about it as us being parents. Nobody grows up under ideal circumstances, as if we even know what ideal circumstances are. As my late friend David Schreiber once said, every life is difficult in its own way. But we do know that in order to become self-confident, capable adults, it is enormously helpful to have grown up with, with steady and predictable parents, parents who delight in you, in your own discoveries and explorations, parents who help you organize your comings and goings, and also served as role models for self-care and getting along with other people. I think that's amazing. And I think that that is definitely the advice of parents. It's not easy to do those things. I love that, but that you are a role model for self-care and emotional regulation yes. or, and, and what'd you say? And, and working with other people, getting along yeah. with others, getting along with and others. So, yeah. I love that. That's great. That's great. So, I mean, we highly recommend this book. You can check out our summary and our, on the blog at chasingbrighter.com. It's a big book, very technical. I did audible and read it. And it's a lot to go through, a lot of information, but I think it's worth it if you yourself have experienced trauma and want to understand yourself a little bit more. And check out the show notes. We're going to put some links into his TED Talk as well, just some good resources to, to hear him directly on some of this information. So great book. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at chasingbrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.